Can you feel it? I can feel it. Can you feel it? Okay, the kids are asleep, so. <laughs> Maybe feel it a little less? Maybe feel it a little less. All right, that's fine. And welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm the Duchess. Yes, you are. You're beautiful. <laughs> and I'm the Duke. And we are coming in hot, episode 19. 19, that's right. Tell them what we're talking about. So we're going to talk about the wise man's fear. Chapter 61 through 69. By? By Patrick Rothfuss. The inimitable. P. Roth. P. Roth. Um, spoiler policy for those who are joining us recently. Um, we will discuss everything in this series, um, Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear, up to chapter 69. Uh, the Duke here has not read these books yet. I have. Um, but we're going to confine discussion to... Um, up to chapter 69 of The Wise Man's Fear, we will not be discussing things um, that happen in either of the novellas or any other spoilers beyond that. Correct. Absolutely. So last time, what we spoke about very briefly was where Quoth arrived in the city of, of Severin, uh, was introduced to Mayor Alvaron and much of the cast in his estate, and uh, we, you know, we had a little bit of intrigue and in what's going on, and introduced to another character, Braden, found out that Denna was there. Of course. Of course. And also that Mayor Alvaron, who Quoth is attempting to court as a patron, was being poisoned. Indeed. And uh, I have a good story to start us off for oh, our listeners. I love good stories. <laughs> so we, last week, we finished recording. We said goodnight. You said you were excited to start reading this section of chapters. We went upstairs. I went to sleep. You were reading. The next (laughs) morning, you looked at me and you said, damn you. (laughs) (laughs) Damn you for recommending this book to me because you had stayed awake. I did. Until three o'clock in the morning. And the only reason why I didn't stay awake until five o'clock in the morning is because I had read through chapter 69 and I had to stop. You could not put this one down. I mean, I did. I mean, you did. But it, it wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this section, and we'll, we'll talk about it, obviously. That is why we're here, after all. Indeed. But um, this section is one of, the, one of the better sections we've read. I don't know if it's just because I'm coming off of the, you know, the Hogwarts, and I've, I've just got you know, Hogwarts blue balls, or, or if it's just a really good section. I think it's just a really good section. And a lot of things are happening. There's a lot of new characters, a lot of new intrigue. A lot of stuff goes on in this section. I mean, it was eight chapters, and just like the last section was eight chapters, but there's just more stuff that happened. Well, you know, there definitely, this was definitely a page turner. Um, There's a lot more plot going on in this section. Absolutely. We've had a lot of character development. Um, and it feels like almost like it's been a slingshot that's been pulled back slowly. All this this kind of building development, and now all of a sudden the plot is just ricocheting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So to summarize this section, we have quoth. You know, we ended with quoth telling Mayor Alvaron that he was poisoned, 
And now we have him kind of working, uh, and he, he kind of told him what his plan was and how he was being poisoned. Now we have him working through that, uh, finding out that he's in way over his head in this town of Severin and with the, the vintage royalty and nobility, and he really doesn't understand what he's doing. And just at the point that he's convinced that he's going to be strung up in a, in a gibbet at the East Gate, we all that comes to a head and we and and Mayor Alvaron does indeed realize that um Codicus was poisoning him and then we have kind of the second part which is the courting of Lady Lackless and that goes off uh you know with you know intermingled with a lot of activity pertaining to Denna but then eventually at the end Mayor Alvaron does manage to woo Lady Lackless was an excellent summary. Thank you. I'm very trying to concise. trying to make them tighter. It was very tight. You may have noticed, but I like to talk. <laughs> I have a tendency to wander. Well, that was masterfully done. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, let's get off talking about our chapters. Chapter 61 is called Dead Nettle. Yeah, baby. And um, in this chapter, at, like as you said, Quoth is trying to convince the mayor that he should trust him and the mayor is not fully convinced no so quoth you know is kind of floundering in this chapter um what stood out to you in chapter 61 well i liked there's a couple things i think that stood out to me and and i think the big thing from just sort of an overall perspective is i feel like this is the first time that quoth gets a sense of the sort of danger he's really in and it's referenced in the title. I actually caught one this time. Ooh. Dead Nettle, right? So it's referenced in the title. And Dead Nettle is a character in a play who comes as a doctor who's supposed to heal everybody, sort of like a Rasputin-type character, but really ultimately ends up being the demise of one of the favorite characters. And Dead Nettle is, Dead Nettle is this huge villain. And he sees himself as though... You know, he's sort of, he's not dead nettle. He wants to do the right thing, but he's starting to see how people could look at him as dead nettle. And he's also just sort of getting a sense of just how much power Mayor Alvaron actually has. It's interesting that you say that because last week at the end of our section, uh, the theme of power came up and we talked about, you know, the mayor and Quoth had a long talk about power, the nature of power. And sort of at the end, when Quoth convinces the mayor that that he's telling the truth or at least partly convinces him, you see almost a, a, a switch, a, a a change in the balance of power between the two of them. And that continues into this chapter, which opens up with Quoth making the mayor swallow cod liver oil against his wishes and speaking to him pretty rudely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the moment when Quoth starts. That's just the very first barest hint when he sort of realizes you know, at first he starts off with all this bravado. The way you talk to nobles, you see, I'm 16. Let me tell you how to do it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Is you don't you don't you don't prey on logic. Mm-hmm. You got to prey on their pride. Let me tell you all about it. So he starts off kind of coming at it from that angle, and by the end he's like, he's like, I was just sort of quite glib <laughs> with with Mayor Alvaron, you know, but he does manage to do that. He treats him like 
like a nurse would treat an unruly child. And, he, and it says as much in the text. It does. So it's it's interesting seeing this theme of, of power being continued into this chapter. That's what really stuck out for me as well. And also, I mean, for me, you see, you saw both sort of starting to get a sense of what danger he is. I see him still being very naive. Well, and I mean like the barest hint, like, and, and I mean, just the barest hint. And it kind of, it may even actually just sort of continue into the beginning of the next chapter. I think it's like the last couple of lines where he's like, huh, He's like, oh, yeah, doesn't dead nettle get pilloried at the end of the play? Yeah, exactly. You know. Right. Yeah, he's just starting to realize that this may not, this is not the university. Well, and and to sort of also seg a little bit into chapter 62, because chapter 61 is pretty short. Um, Chapter 62 is called Crisis. And um, as chapter 61 closes with Stapes giving, quote, a death glare basically Mm -hmm. stapes is just just really trying to murder him with his eyeballs Mm -hmm. he goes back to his room and has a conversation with um brayden yep and that's where 61 or 62 opens correct right so so quote is just kind of waiting around for the mayor to call on him seeing what's going to happen brayden happens to stop by and happens to share with him information about how important and powerful stapes is yeah, it just kind of cuts into this conversation that they're having in the middle of their game of talk, and it opens up with, yeah, he put him in a gibbet for a week. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. Hung him up at the East Gate. <laughs> really kind of got the point across. <laughs> you know? Oh, and also, did you know that Stapes is, like, incredibly important in this household? Oh, and- uh, yeah. Braden always kind of gives us insight into the inner workings of sort of the vintage nobility. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how confusing it can be because you have someone like Stapes who technically doesn't really have title, but because of his relationship with the mayor, he has lands, he has money. Mm-hmm. And despite having no title, because he has the ear of the mayor, people who technically should be above him in station petition audiences with him with gold rings right and we also learn that stapes and the mayor are childhood friends childhood They've friends known yep. each other their whole lives so now quoth knows that this man who does not trust him uh, very obviously is someone who's really important in the court yep um then he goes to the mayor and sees that the birds still flitting around they're flitting around Mm-hmm. Um, and just to review, may- the mayor and Quoth came to an arrangement in the last section we discussed that they were going to give some of this medicine that the mayor was taking to the birds. If it was poison, the birds would die and they would know the truth. The birds did not die. So here it is the next day. It's been 24 hours. Mm-hmm. They've had several doses of this medicine. They should at least be lethargic. Do we have another... Do we have another Dracus situation on our hands here? Do, do we? I, well, you know what? And I wrote down here that I wanted to ask you, what did you think was going on at this point? So remember I told you in the last section that the way his symptoms laid out didn't necessarily line up with lead poisoning in my mind. Right. So I felt like there was enough sort of ambiguity in that last section. And Quoth didn't seem super confident that I thought maybe maybe Quoth has it wrong. 
you know, the first time through, I thought maybe he just doesn't have it wrong. Right. He doesn't have it right. You know, maybe he's got the wrong diagnosis here. Or maybe like the Dracus, he's miscalculated something. You know, I don't know. We don't know anything about flits, right? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe lead doesn't bother them, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? Um, So I just, I I didn't really think about it to to that much of a degree Mm -hmm. other than, Quotes in trouble. He's in trouble. So at that point, the mayor sends him down to see Cauticus. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I I remember last week you saying that you thought that the name Lackless was a version of the name Lockless. Hell here, yeah. Confirmed. You had it. Come here. High confirmed. five. There we go. There we go. Uh, Look, it was you confirmed. You don't get many, like, confirmed in the next chapter, right. like, sort of, <laughs> sort of scenarios, you know? So you got to spike that football when it happens, right? <laughs> so, yes, well done. We do learn that the the Lackless family originally was the Lockless family. We hear a little bit of their um, history. And Caudicus offers us a juicy tidbit, dangles it out there, that he knows some gossip about the Jackus family. Oh, yeah. Quoth doesn't bite. I wish he had. But we also learn that Caudicus is, a, is an Arcanist because at this point... Quoth starts to wonder, like, what's going on here? Is this guy just an idiot? Yeah, maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Because he was playing it so cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's sitting here poisoning this guy, you know, and butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. You know, he's just playing it cool. And, you know, Quoth, again, is super confident in his ability to read people, which... He is, yeah. And he's... In some ways, it's sometimes he's been phenomenal at it. Right. And other times, like with Devi, he's been absolutely horrific at it. Yeah. You know, and in some characters' cases, like Lauren and Denna, he can't read them for shit. Right. So on one hand, you want to trust what he says, but on the other hand, you can't trust it that much. Yeah, these chapters are so interesting because we see both really kind of... I mean, he, he sort of seems to acknowledge... That, um, oh, yeah, I'm out of my element. I don't know what I'm doing. But he doesn't really seem to be taking it that seriously. So, like, in this scene where he walks into Codicus's room, he's standing there. You know, he's just come from the mayor. And he knows the Stapes doesn't trust him. He knows the mayor possibly doesn't trust him. He's possibly getting in trouble. But he walks into Codicus's room and, he's, and he sees these rings sitting on the table. And he goes... I was idly considering stealing some of his gold rings. I know. I'm like, like, what the fuck are you doing? I know, I know. And that just, to me, that's like, no, he's not really taking this very seriously yet, that he's just still kind of willing to be like, oh, what, what, you know, why fuck around today and steal some of Codicus's gold rings? Yeah, he, he still can't kind of get that rue nature out of him sometimes. But anyway, um... Another thing I noticed was with Cauticus, he says, let me take an opportunity to play on some vintage superstition here. Maybe Cauticus is vintage by nature. Right. I'm going to ask him about the Chandrian. Mm-hmm. And so he asks him about the Chandrian. Cauticus pauses for like a half a heartbeat and then just laughs in his face. Right. Just out loud. Calls right. it bunk. Like not even folklore. Right. But what I noticed is if you notice the sentences that follow that, that Cauticus begins to nervously 
start stoppering and unstoppering and restoppering bottles and rearranging bottles on his shelves and nervously sort of picking up his papers and stacking them and putting them away. And I think that activity betrays that he does know something about the Chandrian. Hmm, and I, I didn't pick that up. And I think Cauticus is a supreme actor. Absolutely. That he really is a sharp, sharp dude. And later we've, you know, there's when Cauticus, you know, we're not spoiling anything. We've all read this section. Right. When Cauticus up and skips town, Quoth looks back and says, I wonder what could have tipped him off. And I think this is the beginning. Right. Of what could have tipped him off. That question that he asks makes Cauticus suspicious of Quoth. I think you're right. I mean, that's definitely something that I did not notice before. Mm -hmm. You know, and I guess I was kind of focused on the ways in which Quoth was kind of playing Cauticus. Yeah. And, oh, my word, is that an amulet? You know, and the kind of the cleverness there. Um, I didn't spend that much time thinking about the, you know, Mm -hmm. what was going on in the other direction. Sorry, I just had to pull out my book and look it up. You're right. So here, I'm on page 422. He dismisses Quoth's question about the Chandrian. I would barely even stoop to call it folklore. It's superstitious bunk. And then he began to putter around the room, restoppering bottles, tucking them into cabinets, straightening up stacks of papers, returning books to the shelves. Speaking of serious scholarship, if I remember you correctly, you were curious about the Lackless family. So he does kind of change the subject there quickly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, moving so on. Hardly, you know, hardly couldn't convict him for that. Right. But there's some subtle information there that, that says maybe this cat is a really good actor and maybe he does know something about the Chandra. Maybe. And, and I tend to think Quoth is the one who tipped him off rather than Quoth thinking it was Mayor Alvaron tipping him off. True. Well, I think we do. Well, we'll talk about that later we'll about when we later. get to that part. Um, the next chapter is called The Gilded Cage. And obviously, um, this refers to the fact that Quoth is kind of stuck in his rooms at this point. Um, even though they're very nice rooms, he's not really free to, to move about and do as he pleases because of the situation with the mayor. And it's just interesting that the mayor is still letting this continue. This, Yeah, the behavior is a little strange to me. Particularly... What- the part of it that's strange to me is that he's letting this strange person who he doesn't fully trust give him drugs. Like, that's strange to me, but okay. Right. I mean, I, I think there's a lot that you could say about the mayor in that regard. He's a, a man in his 40s who has the health of a man in his 60s. Um, he's desperate, probably at this point. Yeah, and I think you're right in what you said last time that he probably does in his sleeping mind subconscious, the back of his mind, whatever you want to call it, suspect that Quoth is right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it. He he kind of suspects that Quoth is right, kind of wants Quoth to be right because that can mean that... Yeah, that opens up a lot of possibilities he, yeah, for him. Yeah, he, he could get better. So, but alas, nothing seems to be changing, at least as far as the birds... Both waits around, nothing happens, and the mayor is growing more and more suspicious. Yeah, now he's openly suspicious. Right. And and Cauticus is starts to prod him a little bit as well, and Quoth has to be very clever. And I, I really liked this scene where Quoth is watching Cauticus perform the 
um, make the potion and he's drank a little bit of laudanum because the mayor made him drink some of the tea and he's not really in his right mind and Cauticus says oh and can you hand me the acid and he doesn't even think about it he just hands it to him and then he's got a kind of cover it's my suspicion that Cauticus set that up on purpose oh yeah after his Chandrian comment in the prior visit exactly yeah exactly so but I liked that I liked the the cleverness that both used to kind of get out of that but it definitely shows that suspicion is growing all around well it reminded me I didn't see it as cleverness of him getting out of it I saw it as once again him drugging himself and then walking on to an interaction with somebody important and being like oh yeah I forgot it's Ambrose all over again yep which, you know, may be a little bit convenient, but this is, we've only ever had this one other, one other time, and it was with Ambrose. Perhaps this parallel is deliberate. Yeah, I would, I would not be surprised. So another thing that stuck out to me in this scene is, um, quote at some point, and I have a quote here from page 429, he's listing his problems. He's like, oh, the mayor doesn't trust me and Stapes hates me and now Cauticus suspects me and this is this is all going to hell and worst of all, worst of all, I can't go see Denna. I'm stuck. And she might wonder where I am. She, she, she's not. I may have pissed off the second most powerful man in Vint. He may <laughs> think I'm trying to kill him, but... But worst of worst all... Worst of all, what does Denna think? There's an 18-year-old out there. It doesn't know where I am tonight. Trust me, she knows where you are. So it's like, yeah, yeah, he's still an idiot. Well, I think, so he says at that point, he's like, okay, it's time to start thinking about plan B. I need to start planning an escape, which I thought was wise. Yes. You know, I think that's a wise thing for him to do. And he wanders out onto the rooftop and he's sort of looking around for trying to figure out how can I find a way out of here? When he stumbles upon a a window lit in the tower and he realizes, oh, snap, that's Cauticus's window. And Cauticus is engaged in a very heated conversation with somebody who turns out to be Stapes, who in my mind is cast as Mavis Staples. Uh, who, Who's that? Mavis Staples is a gospel singer, uh, one of the staple singers from back in the 50s, 60s. A uh, very famous gospel singer, and she's a uh, she's an African American lady who's probably about four foot eleven, uh, but's got the voice of a choir of angels. Did I ask you that last? You week? did, and that's okay. All Interesting right. fact about Mavis Staples: uh-huh. Bob Dylan proposed to Mavis Staples. That's a really good fact, right? I guess she turned him down. She did, as you would. She's like, you're crazy. Ugly white boy. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Anyway, so he sees Mavis Staples and Cauticus in this heated argument and doesn't really, isn't really able to capture much of it, but he sees that Stapes is leaving empty handed and he says in his mind, clearly Stapes is involved. Clearly. Clearly he's involved. And I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Clearly he's involved. It, that's what it appears to be, because what other reason would he have to be there? Right. Now, the, the reality is, is that we don't really know the inner workings of, uh, you know, of this location, and Stapes may have had a million reasons to be there. 
he may have been he may have went to Cauticus to get him birds. Yeah. Who knows? Who we knows? Know. We don't know. Who knows? But so chapter 64 is called Flight. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. First off, the bird, I mean, the, obviously the symbolism of the birds and the fact that Quoth is, ends up running away. This is a huge chapter. It's a huge chapter. I'm, I'm stumbling because a- I don't even know where to start. I think it's interesting that the chapter starts with this quote from a book that Quoth is reading about the Lackless family. And we've never started a chapter that way. Right. And it's and it doesn't really seem to have to do with anything else that happens in the chapter, but it no. starts with this quote about the Lackless family and basically how they're plagued by misfortune and that some people call them the Luckless family. Mm-hmm. And then it goes right into Quoth, you know, kind of complaining about his... Um, being stuck there and um i thought it was interesting and humorous that it only takes him until lunchtime basically stuck in a room to be like fuck it i'm out fuck all of it i'm out i don't care see ya <laughs> like <laughs> yeah well and i don't think he was planning to bail i think he was you think he was i think he would have bounced i think he was like you know what i don't care well then why did he come back because he finds denna yeah, so, oh, okay. So you, so he's ready to walk away. But then he finds but Denna. But then he finds Denna, and then he's all happy. Well, yeah, his mood so he sneaks back does in. completely change, yeah. Right. That's for sure. But well, he's ready to walk out, the and then damn. he sees when he sees those guys there saying, no, we're, we're to accompany you at all times. Yeah. I think then then he's like, you know what? I don't care. If it's between not not seeing Denna, I think, he's, I think what he says is, if I'm going to lo- have the mayor's displeasure... At least I'll be free. Oh no, that's a little bit later. That's a little bit but later. But no, it's kind of like yeah, I don't yeah. care. Like if I'm not going to be able to see Denna, then I'll piss off the second most powerful man in Vent. Whatever. I mean, that point still stands for sure. But um, my favorite part of the chapter was how when Quoth first walks out of his room and he sees the single guard standing there, he says, "Hey, who are you?" The guy says, "My name is Jace, and why are you here? Uh, I'm to accompany you if you leave your room." He's like, "Okay." Turns walks back in his room, walks right out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Right, you know. So uh, my favorite part is how he's he's ready to leave. He's kind of like, screw this. Yep, he's gonna nope the fuck out of there. Whatever. He goes down. He finds Denna. All of a sudden, all of his problems don't exist. All is right with the world. Oh yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Second most powerful man in Vent thinks my possibly might be trying to kill him. Whatever. It's all good. Yeah, so this is kind of a chapter of two halves. We have the whole first half with Denna. And then when he comes back, we have sort of the final confrontation where we where out Mayor Alvaron realizes that Quoth has been right this whole time. It starts to culminate in a way where we think that Quoth is going to really end up getting himself in serious trouble, and Quoth does as well, and it gets a little bit of a scare, and right then is when everything breaks, we find out that Stapes has been secretly sneaking the dead birds away because he didn't want to upset Mayor Alberon, uh, at least on the surface, it looks like it's genuine, and he looks like he didn't understand, and so he's been, you know, sneaking these birds away. And then that's also when they go to arrest Cauticus and Cauticus has fled. So that's yes. the whole chapter now. We can kind of well, break think it down. You skipped over. I skipped over a lot because I wanted to just kind of summarize it and then we can go back and kind of tackle it part by part. You skipped over the 
the part with Denna, which I don't blame you because we yeah, yeah, we yeah. want to skip over. The no, 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 I don't. There's important stuff there. Yes, we do because she's annoying. <laughs> well, there's one thing in particular that Denna says that that I thought was an important piece of evidence that we can't skip over. Right. No, no, no. So, um, so we meet marmalade. Denna. Yes, marmalade. I agree. It's. <laughs> I laid my marmalade card on the table. You only get three of those per podcast. That's not true. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about dinner. (laughs) I have the power in the game of marmalade because I'm making arbitrary rules. Yeah, exactly. Are you you like our six-year-old? You're just making rules in the middle of the game? Who do you think taught that to her? Fair point. (laughs) Anyway, back to Denna. Both sees her. We learn that she has her patronage. Her official patronage. We also learns that she's had the hell beaten out of her again. Clearly. Someone has beaten her and it seems like they've done it skillfully in a way that's not going to show. Um, as though they've done it before. Right. They, there's no bruises or anything visible, but you both can tell that she's moving gingerly. I think that I think that Denna is just really into BDSM and her her dom is not very good. Right. I mean, and that's her choice. Whatever. I mean, why we are all we have judging? to live our own best lives. Why are we judging? But my perception is the den is not happy being beaten. All right, fine. That's probably that's probably a more accurate. And she's telling lame ass lies about falling off her horse. No, I fell off a horse. And Quoth is not happy about it. No, and they have quite a tense conversation because the patron is this same master Ash. It's just they've just taken their relationship to a new level and he is not having it. It's interesting that Denna does not remember, apparently, a lot of what transpired during the adventure with the Dracus. Yeah, all that stuff where she was high, she forgot all about it. And it it kind of, um, it didn't really occur to me until this time around, because you know for me, the fact that she up and left after the the whole Dracus escapade and didn't try to find him, that was like one of the nails in the coffin for me, in my opinion, of Denna. Like... And that he, he, you know, if you remember, wakes up all beat up, having had a church fall on him. He's still barefoot. He doesn't even go get his shoes first. He goes to find her. Yeah. And she's gone without so much as a trace. And he's worried about what must she think that I left her out here, you know, only saved a town full of people. But the fact that she doesn't even remember telling him about her patron beating her. She doesn't remember most of their conversation that gives her a little bit more credit in my book because yeah. probably she just woke up confused as hell and maybe didn't remember what was going on That's or the right. whole plan even to she defeat the Dracus. She had the, the lean. Yes, she did. <laughs> if you're from Baltimore, you'll know what that means. If you're from Baltimore, you know what that means. But She um, was all doped up. She was, she was. She was nodding out on the park bench. She was. You know, and so, <laughs> so it's not surprising that when she wakes up in an empty cave with nobody around, that she would be like, how the hell did I get here in jet? Right. But she's, either way, she's not having any of Quoth's criticisms or his chivalry. And in fact, one line that stuck out to me is she kind of ends the conversation by looking at him and saying, I know enough to take care of myself. Because he wants to play doctor. Too, yeah, he does. You know? yeah, yeah. Well, the other, the other thing I noticed, too, is we talked last time about how Quoth was in what we called master manipulator mode. And this section of chapters, I just keep seeing more and more situations 
where Quoth is the one getting manipulated. Because when he starts to get really agitated at her and starts to really get sort of ramped up, she just puts on this, like, puppy dog face. Like, she, like, on a dime, knows what to do, turns it around, and looks at him like, "Oh, you're too concerned about me, aren't you? And, like, he just goes right with it. And that was a that was a learned skill thing that she picked up. She played him and knew exactly how to turn the conversation to get him to turn away from what she did not want to talk about. Yes, everything good that happens to Quoth in this chapter is pure luck. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that there's very about the only no, actually in this chapter, yeah, you're right. In this chapter there's nothing so, cause, so he has this run in with Denna and he's all, you know, in a good mood now. Mm-hmm. And there's one more thing that Denna says that is an important piece of evidence that we have to file away. Oh, right on. So he asks her, well, what can you tell me about Master Ash? And she says, well, I can tell you he's a good dancer. Yes, he's that is a, a piece of evidence. He's a good dancer. Now, the reason why that's interesting is because back in chapter 57, Brayden says... He's learning to dance. And she doesn't say he's a good dancer. She says he's a surprisingly good dancer. Surprisingly implying to me that he's surprisingly a good dancer, as you would say to somebody who is just kind of learning something. What? How did I miss that? I thought I caught all the little Brayden things this time around. And there's another part later where Brayden references dancing again. Interesting. Good. Come here. Give me another high five for that. that. Yeah. There you go. Good catch. So so that's all the dentist stuff. Oh, no, that's not all the dentist stuff. So the other thing that that I was surprised by is they start talking about court gossip. She says, give me all the court gossip. Right. Which she would probably, you know, that's a job question. That's right. not a personal time question. That's, right. That's a business question. And first thing out of his mouth is, did you know that Mayor Alvaron has miraculously recovered from an illness? Like, he hasn't even fully recovered from an illness. The first thing he says is the one thing he's not supposed to say. It's like the eclipse today. <laughs> don't look at don't the sun. Look at the, don't look at the sun. What? Don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. You mean that giant ball of, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> I swear. I was right. like, I was like, there's no way I'm getting out of this without looking at the damn sun because I'm thinking about it. So like <laughs> thinking about it so much, there's no possible contingency. that This does not happen by accident. You're walking. You called me and said you were on your way home. I was like, don't look up. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing out of his mouth is the one thing he's not supposed to say. Yeah. So Mayor Alvaron, you know, I, I I looked back at what we talked about when he, when quote first met Mayor Alvaron and Mayor Alvaron's talking about, Oh, I'm old. I'm so old. I'm old. I'm old. I'm old. And it's becoming clear to me now that the reason why he said that is because he doesn't, he rather this person who doesn't know him and doesn't know his age, think he's an old man than to know that he has this illness. Right. So he doesn't want it to be known. And the first thing out of Quote's mouth is, did you know that he recovered from this miraculous illness? Which, by the way, is not really not really something that should be common knowledge. No. 
And then her response is, everybody knows that. Which I could mean one of two things. It could mean everybody does know it, and there's a lot more spies and little birds going around than Quoth ever realizes. And once again, he's in way over his head, and he doesn't know it. Or what I think is probably more likely is that that's not common knowledge, but she's just playing it off that way, being like, everybody knows that. How does somebody in low Severin, who's never been up there, know something that isn't even technically true yet? You know what I mean? And how is Quoth not trying to figure out who Mr. Ash is a little bit harder? Well, he I feel is like now, he pushed her as far as he was willing to. He pushed to. her, but he also has the inside track for like the entire court. He has people just dropping letters off. I mean, he has access to everyone who's anyone who might have enough money to, to sponsor to be a patron. I gotcha. I think my response to that would be, what information does he have to go off of? He's got a lot of suspicions. I mean, I feel like when he's hanging remember, out in Imray, he's always constantly looking around wondering who is Mr. Ash. Well, he tried that kind of path with Threp, remember? That's true. And, you know, he was like, well, do you? what do you know about him? And the guy's like, well, he's, he's got two testicles and a pair of eyes. Like, <laughs> do you know that for a fact? Not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what does he know? You yeah. Know? So uh, while... I agree with you, and I kind of see your point. I feel like if he had just some little nugget of evidence that he could work with, he probably would. I don't, mm-hmm. but I don't think he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you may be right. You may be right. So, are we ready to move on to the big reveal? Yeah. So, the second part of chapter sixty four here. So he gets back to his room. I love how he walks back to his room. And he's just like, hey, guys. And now there's two. Right. Because it was only one to start with. And now <laughs> there's two. He's like, <laughs> he's like, hey, what are you guys up to? You know, and they're all angry. And they're like, hey, you know, we're, you're not supposed to be out of our sight. And this knucklehead. And so this shows that he hasn't quite grasped <sighs> the level of danger that he's in. He's mm-hmm. like, this is when he say, he does his big speech in his mm-hmm. head. Well, I'd rather have my freedom, you know, than, than put up with this. This this insolence. You know? Yeah, he says here, if I couldn't have the mayor's goodwill, at least I would have my freedom and the ability to see Denna whenever I wanted. Like that's uh, it's it, such a naive statement. Like, that yeah, that definitely made me like do the slow blink a yes. couple of times. Like, yeah. is he really still that naive that he thinks that if the if he doesn't have the mayor's goodwill, this guy thinks you're trying to kill him, that you're just gonna wander off? hang out with Denna? Yeah, or or the other side of it is that an appropriate reaction to the suspicion that he's garnered is to walk up to Mayor Alvaron all haughty and be like, we have to talk. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, to be fair, it worked out for it him. It did work out for him. And at any other moment, probably wouldn't have. Absolutely. I mean, he, he probably would have been on a gibbet. Yeah, he'd have been he'd have been swinging from a gym. Mm-hmm. So he he walks up to the to the mayor just then when so they bring him into his his chambers and Alvaron is about to give him holy hell, you know, in in the process of going to confine him to his rooms and imprison him and all these other things when Snape walks by. Well, and hang on before we say Staples. that. It he so he he goes in there bold as brass, but it only takes him like a half a page 
And this is when the full realization of yeah. the deep shit he is in yep. hits him because he realizes that, you know, he's put so much pride in his ability to know what the rules are in a situation. And he says, you know, when I was homeless, you know, you know that like, okay, the police can't beat you if there are people around or these yep. people will only chase you if you run, you know, he suddenly realizes that the mayor doesn't have any rules. There's no rules. He, this guy could throw me in a cell tomorrow. Nobody would notice. Nobody would care. Yep. He could have me killed and dumped in the river. No, there'd be nothing I could do about it. Yep. You know, and he's come up with powerful, rich people before, but it's been in the context of the university where yeah. he's protected and there's, there's rules in place. This is not the case now. And I think it, it's interesting to see the naivete of the last couple of chapters all of a sudden is gone. Yeah. How's that for an edge? Hey, hey, Elodin. How's that for an edge? Ooh, You like good. that edge, Elodin? Yeah, that's a pretty good edge. Thankfully, <laughs> fate and luck intervene, and just at that moment... Mavis Staples walks in with a handful of dead birds. Mavis Staples comes in with a dead bird. I so, I so wanted to come up with a good Mavis Staples impersonation. But I just couldn't do it. <laughs> if I thought I could somehow pull it off, but I just, I can't do it. He's been practicing in the shower. I have been, but <laughs> alas, I will not, I will not torture you with it. So Stapes walks in and it's interesting to me that Alvaron is so able to very quickly read him because there's nothing that Quoth notices that's out of the blue. But like it's like Stapes is walking in the background. He doesn't even look at him, and he's like, "Stapes, you are up to something." He just <laughs> yes, he just I, knows. Can you just picture that scene? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when he comes over, and that's when we realize that the birds have been dying, and Stapes has been replacing them. And Quoth thinks that that's all part of the plot between him and Claudicus, until the man just basically turns on the waterworks and opens up like like a flood and just breaks down in front of him. And he realizes, or at least we believe, that what is going on here is Stapes' genuine concern and affection for Mayor Alvaron. You know, he thought the birds were helping to cheer him up, but the birds kept dying. Fun side story. My mom pulled a Stapes with our betta fish when we Ah. were kids, and got away with it for like seven years or something ridiculous. It was years. Was it Little Wet Whitney? It was Little Wet Whitney, which, the betta fish. Which is the best name for a fish <laughs> I've ever heard. And we all bragged any chance we got about how we had this betta fish who lived for so long. But it was because... it was he actually, used to be blue. It was Little Wet Whitney too, because Little Wet Whitney 1 died. And there was such trauma in the household that I think my mom determined <laughs> no fish was ever going to die on her watch again. And she'd be like, no, he's napping. He'll be awake by the time you get home from school. <laughs> the clerk, Sorry, sidebar, but <laughs> she goes into PetSmart, Joanne, <laughs> Lisa, how are you today? We kept we kept a blue one just for you. I knew it was coming. So yeah, my mom pulled a stapes. That's pretty funny. There's um, still a lot. I mean, I don't feel 100% resolved on the stapes issue. I mean, I think it is what it seems to be. But we'll talk more about that later. 
Right. But either way, Stapes is at least outwardly incredibly grateful, even more so than the mayor. And the mayor kind of pulls him up and is like, look, you know, normally, and I just think it's so interesting how this this happens. Normally, I would uh, be rewarding you out the wazoo right now, lands, title, anything, anything you want. But obviously, I can't really do that because I don't want people to know that I've been, you know, survived a an assassination attempt. Especially when the assassin is still on the loose. When the assassin is still on the loose and I'm trying to like get this chick to marry me. Yeah. You know, we can't get that out there. And Quilth understands and he's kind of like, oh yeah, but this guy owes me a big favor. But, you know, kind of, you just kind of wonder like, is the mayor really going to... Well, I thought like his, I would give you lands and titles. To I don't know. To me, that seemed a little far to go. Right. I thought that was a little kind of overblown, but I don't know. I mean... Right, but either way, Stapes gives him a, a silver ring and a bone ring. Correct, yeah. Um, which is a we, we learn is a pretty um, yeah, and high he, honor. He embraces him in this just super warm, very very genuine embrace. And one of the things that caused me to think was maybe there is more going on between Stapes and Cauticus, but maybe it's not what we thought it was. Perhaps Cauticus had been blackmailing Stapes. Who knows? Perhaps Cauticus had been bullying Stapes. Perhaps Stapes had just been suspicious of Cauticus, but didn't have any way of doing anything about it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, because, yeah, he's happy that Mayor Alvaron is is healthy, but it seems to me as well that he's happy that Cauticus is gone. So maybe there was something going on with those two that kind of, explain some of what was going on i don't i don't know the other thing that that uh we we haven't talked about is when dagon shows up he's sort of the head of the uh estate security and mayor alberon says oh uh dagon would you please arrest cauticus for treason and um bind him and cut off his thumbs which i wrote gulp right (laughs) yeah, and that's when you realize just how much trouble Quoth was really in. My theory, Dagon's a secret Targaryen. <laughs> Dagon's one of the great old ones. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, anyway, that's that's everything I have for chapter 64. I have one more what question. What a hell of a chapter. I have Go one ahead. more question in this chapter, and it didn't really, like, strike me before, but it did this time through, that they make a point of talking about the Eldvintic name for the Blitz. I just realized that I wrote that down, too, and forgot to bring it up. Right. So, in Eldvintic, the, the name for these these birds that Quoth has been systematically poisoning for some time is the Calanthus, and it's also the name of the Vintish royal family. Why are you looking like that? So I found that as well. And okay. so I went back and I said, you know, because once again, he says, where have I heard that name before? Right. So, which to me means when I hear, where have I heard that before? I say, like, oh, that's important. Okay, let's go into, <laughs> let's go search for that word. Right. Oh, you did know? you? Good for yeah. you. So it turns out that the only, it's only been referenced once, and it was during one of quotes um, term what's the word for it? interviews okay that he goes up and it was master Lauren who brought mm-hmm. it up and he said mm. um, who was the first 
declared king of Tarventus, and it was somebody, Jace or something, uh, Calanthus. So Tarventus, to me, seems like a predecessor right. to Vint, one of these you know, sort of historical predecessors to the kingdom of Vint. And so this is the first king. Now, it just crossed my mind that Quoth is supposed to have killed some sort of king. Yes, he is. Did he kill King Calventus? I mean, that's what popped into my mind this time through. It's never like occurred to me before when reading it, but it's I certainly doesn't seem like a throwaway thing that it's brought up here. And it could be a red herring for that. It could be. But it seems like really too subtle for a red herring, it in does. my opinion. Yeah, correct. Yeah, because if you're going to have a red herring, you're generally going to want it to be more like the Stapes and Cauticus arguing. Right. Uh, you know, sort of type. Right. So it does seem that way. I, I think th- it might be what it is. It, it might be. And I you, I knew that for Patrick Rothfuss and his writing, names of things are incredibly important, obviously. Um, well, so I don't think this is just a throwaway conversation. Well, and how many, you know, we've gone back and forth about this, but, you know, getting expelled from the university, mm-hmm. not really getting expelled from the university, burning down the town of Traben, not really burning down the town of Traben, killing Cal, you know, what is it? Um, Calanthus. Calanthus. The king of Tarventus. Well, I don't, think he, got, I don't think he got the name uh, King Killer for killing a bunch of birds. I mean, no, he probably did kill a king at some point. Well, and there's a reference to, you know, a fight and the guy was, I was there when it when happened. When killed him, yeah. You know, so, so I tend to, maybe this is just a foreshadowing. Well, that's what I, I see it as symbolism. But, yeah, correct. That I, I don't think it's a, it's a throwaway thing that it's, but it is some sort of symbolism that he's been, you know. Well, it's funny because I've thought for a long time that the king that he kills is the king of Vint. Mm-hmm. But, I did, you know, my reasons for thinking that were super tangential. You know, it's like early on, I thought Ambrose is like so far removed from the king, but not so far removed from the king that he's out of the line of procession. Right. You know, he might be... And has moved closer since the beginning of the series. Correct. So now he's moved from the 16th to the 13th or whatever, right? Or his dad is, not him, but his dad. So the Baron, you know, the Baron Jackus is like now 13th in line to the king or something like that. So one big coup, one big war. Right. And and now all of a sudden he's the king. Right. So it has crossed my mind that Baron Jackus, be it Baron Jackus today or Baron Jackus when Ambrose takes over, could be the king he kills. I mean, it absolutely could be. And at this point, we are halfway through the series. Okay, because we're halfway through the second book. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to imagine another character... With that much emotional importance. Becoming a king that would be... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's certainly something to speculate about. On the other hand, he he is the king of betraying your expectations yeah similar to george r R. martin but he does it in a different way at least in this story he does it in a a different way so it's it's hard to say but that's kind of where i've been going as well yeah and the fact that all of this still aligns to cauticus is going to sync up with one of my predictions later which is another 
wild ass swing for the fences sort of prediction, but I'll make it anyway. Awesome. My goodness. Well, that was uh, one hell of a chapter. It was Jesus. one hell of a chapter. You know what I need? What? I need a lemon pie. <laughs> you want to take a break and go get a lemon pie? Yes. Let's take a break and go get a lemon pie. All right. Oh my God, that was some amazing lemon pie. Okay, you didn't actually give me a lemon pie, though. You just moved your microphone away from your face. And I'm really disappointed, honestly. I You were promised lemon pie? I really kind pie. of thought we were going to eat lemon pie for a second. This is a joke I stole from another podcast. You're, oh. you're not supposed to acknowledge well, that. Hey, lemon pie is not a joking matter, dude. We, you don't fuck around dude, with lemon pie. you don't fuck around with any kinds of pie in this house. Okay. Especially not of the lemon variety. Dude... <laughs> We have not spent enough time talking about how awesome lemon pie is. It's pretty freaking awesome. It All is. I want to do is sit around in my underwear and eat lemon pie and talk about this book with you. It sounds glorious. And I have teased it and not delivered. Marmalade. I'm serious. If you don't break out a lemon pie or we don't move on this book, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> So chapter Let's 65. Let's talk about Count Braden. Let's talk about Braden here. So chapter 65. This is one of my favorites. This is a great chapter. Like this one also has a ton of stuff happen uh, in it as well. My goodness. So this is, you know, after uh, Mayor Alberon has sort of quietly over his tea said, I'd really like to thank you formally, but I can't. Uh, but he does make he does move in into these awesome rooms, which Brayden knows about immediately. Right. And then they play talk and Brayden kicks quotes ass. He does. And we get some really interesting. Yeah character insights yeah we do so the chapter is called a beautiful game obviously which refers to talk and um well they start off discussing the meaning of the bone ring that stapes gave quoth and mm -hmm. brayden is very interested I and mean, he can't know the details well, but well but the fact that the fact that quoth's stuff hadn't even all been put in the room before he gets a note from brayden Right, so we learned some very interesting things about Brayden. So first he, though, explains the meaning of the bone ring, which is mm -hmm. that Stapes is expressing lasting a lasting debt. Correct. And it's a very unusual thing to do. Particularly because in olden days, those rings were made from bone. They were made from the bone of a deceased relative. Now, while they, yeah. they, yeah, gross. But while they, they doubt that this is actually made from a deceased relative, but the point gets across. This is like a life bond kind of like serious level of gratitude. Right. So Brayden and Quoth start playing and start playing talk. And well, after Quoth expresses gratitude to Brayden for all his help and says, how can I repay you? And Brayden says, oh, play with this, play this game with me. Yep. And they start playing and Quoth feels like he's getting better. But Brayden is getting more and more frustrated. And um, Quoth is saying, oh, I almost beat you that time. And and Brayden says, that's not the point of the game. Yeah. 
He said, so then he proceeds to just just wipe the floor with him three games in a row. Yeah. And um, and Kvothe says, well, I, obviously you've been holding back. He says, I haven't been holding back. Because the, the point. point of the game is not just to win. It's to play a beautiful game. Yep. And I thought when I read this this time, I was like, it's like Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody finally understands me. <laughs> It's about finally getting all the right tiles to lay down the word Chandrian. Y'all can't understand how frustrating it is to play Scrabble with someone who just wants to win. And they, you know, you spend move after move and you, you've, got all the, you've got all the tiles starting to line up. Things are starting to move into place who have you been playing for the Scrabble word with? onomatopoeia. <laughs> you, I haven't played Scrabble in like... 12 years for the sake of our marriage <laughs> okay and uh and the person you're with is like four but how many 37 points, points. Yeah, exactly <laughs> mother fucker it's not the point it's not the point to get the point i feel it's the point to make the best words i feel like you're taking this podcast as an opportunity i'm i'm to malign my scrabble playing skills you know, it's just different philosophies of Scrabble. Okay, <laughs> I, I I accept that, but um, <laughs> but that's what it made me think of when he's talking about this game. It, it's funny because I, I said so much happens in this chapter because I'm looking at my notes, but the reality is is that there's really not a lot that actually happens. He just gets his ass kicked in in talk, but there's so much in that statement, and and in and in the game, it just crossed my mind. That he's probably the author's probably using talk as a metaphor, and I'd never, I just they're just playing a game, and this is just you know a, a thing for them to do in the background while Braden attempts to figure out who the hell this guy is, and now I'm like, well, no, 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 wait a minute, there's this game is a device, it's being used to do something, and so it's a metaphor. In, in my mind, it's a metaphor or a symbol for something, and I'm thinking, okay, what's it a metaphor for? So I have some thoughts. Do you want to? No, I mean, I definitely agree with you about the metaphor. And I have my thoughts written down as well. But you can go first. This is amazing. You know, it would make this moment even better. I I don't know that you should go there. A lemon pie. A lemon pie. Oh, the things I would do to that lemon pie. (laughs) So All I right. think tack might be a metaphor. All right. <laughs> Throw so, it out there. So this is so I thought there were two kind of things that came to mind. First I thought it was the way Quoth thinks that he is playing at this game of kind of the nobles. So it sort of made me think of it in a Game of Thrones sort of way of like he thinks he's got he's playing this political maneuvering and he's starting to become competent at it. Right. But what he doesn't realize is that he is so far away from being able to actually play this game that, you know, that it's laughable. Right. So that was the first thing that I sort of thought about. But then I thought, no, it's it's deeper than that. So I thought of it as more of a metaphor of how he is playing at the game of the Amir and the Chandrian. Ooh, good one. And how 
this is all happening on such a higher level than where he's playing at that he he thinks he's getting somewhere, but he's not even scratching the surface of the surface of anything. He's so far away from being able to really understand that what's going on, and, and he's just clumsy. It's like he's trying to do heart surgery with a claw hammer. So this is also where Braden says again, talk is like life. It's like a dance. Mm. So once again, he says dancing. And and it, doesn't he go on to say that the point of dancing isn't to win. It's the movement itself. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's what we, he has to say about this game. And, you know, he says, you know, it's not it's not enough to... Like he's when he destroys them the last time, and it's just like he says it's like a you know it's like a lamb to the slaughter. He doesn't even have time to resist him in the game. You know, Braden looks down and he says, "Why do I want to win a game like that? There's no pride in winning a game like that. I don't want to win. I you know he says, and I wrote it down. Um, why would I want to win anything other than a beautiful game? Yes. So. Now I'm beginning to think, just as we're sitting here talking about it, that it actually goes another level deeper than what I've even realized. And now I'm beginning to think that this is not about anything that has anything to do with Quoth. Quoth's not even in this game. That what he's talking about is the battle between Telu and Encanus, the Amir and the Chandrian, the good and the bad. And it's not about the God and the angels and the demons. It's not about winning. It's simply about them playing the game. And that Quoth and Master Ash and Denna are all just pieces on a board they really don't care about. And I, I definitely agree with you that Quoth, the the whole idea that Quoth thinks he's playing a certain game but doesn't even understand the point of the game he's playing properly, you know, and he thinks it's about finding out what happened to his parents, some kind of idea of possibly revenge when it's, he really is like a babe in the woods. Yeah. That crossed my mind too, because it's like the first thing he thinks when he realizes he's gained the patronage of, of mayor Alvaron is I can finally find somebody to, you know, to give me information about the Amir and all this. And I'm sort of thinking, at this point, I'm sort of thinking, why? You're not going to bring your parents back. Why are you Why are you continuing to play at this game? What do you think you're doing? You know? And it, But he still found himself sort of obsessed with it. So I do like the idea that he doesn't even realize the game he's in. Yeah. So what I really took from this section this time was what this all says about Brayden. You know, um, the first time I read this through, I kind of took him at face value and kind of saw him as like, okay, what's the point of this character? He's just there to like, because Quoth needed someone to show him the ways of the court and needed someone to kind of explain things. Exposition tool. Exposition tool. Like he's the wise old hermit in the hut on the side of the road that the hero... Or he's the, you know, However, he, he's the young ensign that the captain's like, well, of course, as you know, with the so-and-so Brayden exactly, and Jens allows us but, to know, but that's not you know, what it is. The wise old hermit is what stuck out to me because he's old. And also because in book one, 
Patrick Rothfuss makes a whole point of saying that the wise old hermit doesn't exist in this hmm. universe. If you remember the first time Kvothe is trying to convince Elodin to yeah, teach yeah. him, and he says, oh, Elodin is the wise old hermit, and all I have to do is prove myself in this task, and then Elodin pushes him off the roof, basically. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah. it's been put out there that those tropes are not in this story, and it's yeah. interesting how... Because that's the hero's quest, is there's... Exactly. There's, you know, there's the wise old hermit. Right. And so, but it's interesting how even then a book later, I fall into thinking, oh, well, that's what this character is. He's the, he's the friendly helper. He's put there just to help the hero along. All of a sudden realizing that, no, wait, that character doesn't exist in this story. All of a sudden I'm looking at what's his motivation here. And then I'm looking at this speech he has in a whole new light. So he, he goes on and on about the game of talk and the point is not to win and the point is to play a beautiful game and he says any man that's half awake can spot a trap that's laid for him but to stride in boldly with a plan to turn it on its ear that is a marvelous thing and to set a trap and know someone will come in anyway ready with a trick of their own and then beat them that is twice marvelous I think this character has some huge scheme going on. I think that this is another piece of evidence that this might be Mr. Ash. And oh, it, well, it 100% is. And we'll talk about why later. Right. But it, it just reveals so much the subtlety and the craftiness of this character and how broad the game he seems to be playing. Is. Yeah. Quote thinks he's playing a game of talk. He's the, Brayden's playing a totally different game. <laughs> Right. And <laughs> and he says at the end, Braden says, a well-played game of talk reveals the moving of a mind. And it's just so obvious that that's why he's sitting here playing with Quoth. He's, he's, Quoth is just an open book to him now yep. at this point. Mm-hmm. So we can hope that he'll have some, some tricks up his sleeve, but I don't, I, I think that Braden is too, too kindly on the outset. I don't think that he is plotting to help him. Oh, you know? no. No, well, this is Master Ash. Right. So that's what I took from chapter 65. So 66 begins with what is my favorite revelation in the world. And that is the value of an armless chair. (laughs) That's so funny that you, yeah, yeah. Like if you're... Chad's a guitar player. If you... If you play a string instrument or an instrument where you have to sit down, having an armless chair is just such a beautiful thing. There to musicians, what clothes with pockets must be like to women. Yes. Right? I would imagine. Finally, somebody gets it. Finally, somebody That's gets it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Do you know uh, when Chad and I moved in together, you know, he, he got this apartment and... Um, <laughs> He'd been living there for about a month. I think a month and a half. Six weeks when I moved in. We had furniture and stuff, but I I came in, you know, that first day. The only piece of furniture that was set up was a backless chair. (laughs) Mattress on the floor, backless chair. (laughs) Guitar sitting right next. Guitar sitting right next. (laughs) Didn't even have a TV. Did not have a TV. You had that chair set up. Books and boxes. <laughs> a vacuum cleaner in the box. Yep. If we're being real. Well, I mean, I wasn't you doing anything. All you did was sit in the corner in that backless chair. Exactly. 
<laughs> wasn't like I was making a lot of messes. <laughs> uh, moving on. Yes, moving on. Quoth has has several See, backless like chairs. Quoth, we reveal these things about ourselves. We don't even realize the game we're being played. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the name of the chapter is Within Easy Reach, and that refers to the fact that uh, the mayor creeps into his room, and they finally kind of get down to brass tacks of what it's going to take to court Meloan, and the mayor wants to know what he needs. So the mayor's played this game before. He knows artists. Yeah. He knows, like, what is it? Is it a bowl of only green M&Ms? Like, he, what do I need? What do I have to give you? To yeah. give you. And he says, nope, as long as I can, you know, go down to Severin Low whenever I need to, everything I need is within easy reach. Yeah, it was, I thought that was quite funny because a couple of things struck my struck me there. So Mayor Alvaron has been so sort of prim and proper and he puts Quoth up in what is clearly a mistress room. Right. <laughs> right. And then when he says to Quoth, so what do you need for your, um, you know, um, uh, inspiration? Right. Right. And he's sort of hinting like, what do I have to provide for you, you know, to keep you kind of happy and inspired? And Quoth is like, looks at him like, uh, what? Like he just. That's <laughs> so far beyond the realm of. Exactly. Anything in his experience. Exactly. It, you know, he, do, he doesn't get it at all. You know, um, there was a man who kept a, you know, a chest of fermented apples and had to smell it. What the fuck? <laughs> like, uh, just some paper, bro. Like, I just gonna write some letters. Like, right. like he just, you know. And um, so then he explains that Lady Lackless will be here in two days. Mm-hmm. So get ready. And then my my favorite part, because this is kind of a setup chapter. My favorite part is that uh, he talks at the end. He's like. Now that I could go to Severin Low whenever I wanted to, suddenly Denna was so easy to find. And I'm like, oh, suddenly. I'm like, yeah, you asshole, because every time you leave, she knows you're on your way. <laughs> because you're being because spied on, you Spying ass. on you, you horse's ass. <laughs> exactly. You poor, poor boy. Dumbass. <laughs> so, th- so there wasn't a whole lot in that chapter for me. Right, right. So do we want to move on to 67? Yes, I'm okay. I'm ready. So we start out with Mavis Staples teaching Quoth manners. Yes, indeed. And he eats the little cheeses. This is cheeses, how you eat fat back. Eats the little cheeses, this is rind how you and eat all. Chitlins. I'm sorry, I just stepped all over that joke. That's not Pretend a joke. Pretend I didn't. <laughs> no, I was, just go on. <laughs> <laughs> so finally we get to, to meet Lady Lackless. Right, but my favorite part. Go ahead. And I'm going to put, just put a pin in it. Please do. Because it's funny. It's funny later. It's about the little cheese with the rind. Oh, with the rind. Okay. Okay. And how you have to sometimes pair off a perfectly good rind and throw it away. And such is the price of civilization. That's what it says in the book. Pin placed. It's funny. Damn it. I'm just missing something. This is... (laughs) This is not a failure of your joke. This is me being It's not daft. my joke. It's Patrick Rothfuss's joke. Well, he is a dick. <laughs> As they say in Game of Thrones, Don't listen dick? to him, Pat. Don't listen to him. I love the little cheese rind. I feel like he's not. 
I feel pretty confident he's not listening to me. <laughs> I like the cheese rind joke, but marmalade. Marmalade. Weighing down the marmalade. Uh, well, number one for you, number two for me. So, all right. So anyway, we meet Melowan. We meet Le- Melowan Lackless. And the f- it's another one of these random ass things, right? So he meets her. He's like, she looks like somebody. Right. Who does she look like? Who the hell does she look like? So let's play a game. Do it. Does she look like Debbie? I don't know. Because Debbie has strawberry blonde hair and Melowan Lackless has chestnut hair. Right. And brown eyes. So not Debbie. Does she look like Fela? I don't know. Fela has dark hair. Fela has dark hair. She doesn't look like Denna. Denna has dark hair. Does she look like Mola? Mola has blonde hair. Mola has blonde hair. What about Abanthe's bride? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. What about Master Lauren? <laughs> Is it Master Lauren Lackless? No. And he's a brother? All right. What about What about Lyra? Who's Lyra? Lyra of Lyra Lanray and Lyra? How would he recognize her? Because isn't she on the side of a of the urn? Um I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, we've only had so many female characters in the book. Right. I thought Eladin, but Eladin's blonde. Plus Is the he? masters. No. But Eladin had dark hair. Hmm. I don't know. And was it her hair that he recognized or no, her features? Her, her features. She, the hair was like mentioned kind of later. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't even mention her hair at first. Right. I had to kind of look for that actually. Right. I'm, I'm turning to the page right now. As I helped her into her seat, her profile struck me with such a strong resemblance that I couldn't Nose, help but chin, stare. Which you would see somebody's profile in a bust or an urn. I hadn't thought of that. It's possible. I don't know. I don't know either. But it's nagging at me. Put a pin in that. Next to the cheese joke. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, I just thought it would be interesting if Lauren protecting the four-corner door, Mm -hmm. four-plate door, most doors have four corners, Mm -hmm. unless you're a hobbit, you know... And then the lackless, which is lockless, yeah, right. So that's why I was like, she somehow related to Lauren. Do they have the same features? Mm. But then I thought about, but is the lockless box going to be in the universe? I don't know. Who knows? It's too confusing. There's, I, I I hope that this is not. I can't figure it out because I've missed something. Right. But rather, we just don't have the rest of the evidence we need to make a decision on this. I hope. Hope I'm not missing something, but that's okay. So he spends the rest of the meal trying to get a feel for her, feel for what she likes. He keeps throwing different lines at her and kind of flirting with her in different ways. Right. And then trying to see how he re- she reacts. And then this is one of the things that I don't understand is how is Quoth, who is admittedly horrible with women by his own self-admission, Somehow this master flirt who can read everyone's expression and know what they're thinking. You how know, is he the fucking Roxanne? How is he Cyrano de Bergerac 
all of a sudden. You know, I found that interesting, but I found it perfectly in his character because once he takes his feelings out of it, it's not for him. The stakes are out of it. So that self-doubt is gone. You know, his his hang up with Denna is not that he doesn't know what to say to her. He doesn't know what she likes. It's that he doesn't think of, of himself as possibly having any value to her. My only counterpoint to that would be all the other times that there are women who flirt with him where he has no, he doesn't want them. He has no emotional investment. There's no stakes for him there. And he just is completely clueless. Right. But again, it comes down to his opinion of his self-worth. He Mm. has no idea that these women are flirting with him because he doesn't see himself as having any value to them. So how could they possibly be flirting with him when he doesn't have anything, any value? You know, the mayor obviously has value to Melowan, as he can see. And so for Quoth, he can take this as an intellectual exercise. So forever the wingman. Exactly. He is the perfect wingman. <laughs> the perfect wingman. And so he is able to, like, kind of coolly, in a very systematic way, charm her and assess her and come up with this list of things. And like he says in the in the book, he's got thousands of poems and plays memorized about the subject and so he is able to kind of like take a step back and the pieces fall into place for him what he could never do for himself if that's the case then he should know that in every one of those plays anytime somebody gets a third party to come in and woo somebody on their behalf it always fucking blows up has he not read any shakespeare or watched any episode of three's company They don't have Three's Company in Tamaran. Fair enough, but. (laughs) So what do we learn about Milovan Lackless? Okay, we learn that she is somehow familiar to Quoth. She's racist. Oh, man, you stepped on it. Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's all right. Go for it. Damn, she racist. (laughs) (laughs) She's not subject to flattery. She enjoys boldness. And she's racist. Yeah, hella Sorry. racist. You, you've stepped on my jokes before. Oh, so many times. So I do feel bad because I know what that's like when you're like, <laughs> I've been holding on to this one. I've been holding on. I got a way I'm going to sneak this one out there. And then somebody says, where's their fucking cage? <laughs> you go, oh, I wanted to say that. See, if we had show notes, then we could work these things out in advance who gets what joke, but we don't. We just that sounds fly like, by the seat of our pants. That sounds like a lot of work. It does sound like a lot of work. We do a lot of damn work for this podcasting, <laughs> as it is. I'm surprised by how much work this podcast is. As am I. And this is us flying by the seat of our pants. Right? So, but about the racist part, she appears to be, like, she's not, like, casually racist. She hates the Edamaru. She does. As though something has been done to her. Like she, at least in Quoth's eyes, and he seems to be pretty well tuned to these sort of things, she frets on it. Right. For quite a while. And he can kind of... Destroys a pastry. Innocent pastry. Innocent chilled strawberry pastry. Didn't, Didn't do nothing. If it was a lemon pie, we would have had to put the book down. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That was very professional. <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say. I have nothing more to say as well. Let's move on. So chapter 68. So in chapter 68, we have Denna inspiring all of Quoth's letter. They run around. It's joy. It's fields of flowers, frolicking, moonshine, and love, and light, and all this stuff. And he writes all these letters and songs. And then as soon as she's gone and she leaves, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. He ain't got no inspiration. He got nothing to write. It's like that scene in Notting Hill where Hugh Grant is just trudging through London and That's right. Bill Withers is in the background. It's definitely Ain't no a, sunshine when she's gone. It's definitely a Bill Withers type of chapter. In fact, Chad was taking notes in his chair <laughs> and he was humming that song and I looked over and said, Anytime. Chapter 68. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a true story. That is a true story. A 100% true story. <laughs> So yeah, Quoth is bummed. He 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 basically becomes completely useless um, because Denna skips town. But he yeah. finds a clever way to buy himself some time because he can't possibly write songs when Denna's not around. Yeah, and that you know, and that just shows me he is not a professional. Exactly. He is just a moody teenage boy. Yep. There's nothing more pathetic than a 60-year-old boy in the, love. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Nothing on the planet. I, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> nothing on the planet. So, <laughs> so of course, he can't get anything done. So, he goes to Master, master uh, excuse me, to Mayor Alvaron, and he says, you may still be in danger. I've got my manipulator mask on, and convinces him that he needs to build him a gram. So, he buys himself some time, and in the process... We hope. It says he wasn't able to finish it, but he's going to eventually build himself a gram as well as a part of the process. Okay, so... Two things I want to point out in this chapter, but go ahead. I was going to say that I I had a little bit of a problem here with his trick with the apple. Was that one of the things you wanted to point out? No, 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 no. Okay, so basically he's trying to convince the mayor that he needs to... He's still in danger because... But really he just needs time to not. So he... He tells the mayor, oh, there are things that Cauticus can do to you from even far away. And he says, hold this for me. And the mayor holds an apple. And just from the mayor's fingerprint on the apple, by poking the fingerprint, he is able to harm the mayor. Is this consistent with what we know of the the bounds of sympathy from a fingerprint? I mean, it's oil. The oil from his skin. I mean, a little bit of skin, maybe. But does an apple then make a vomit? Like... I don't know. Well, two points. One, this could just be showing the degree to which Quoth is becoming incredible at sympathy. Okay. Or it could be an inconsistency. You know, I've never really cared that much about magic systems. That that didn't bother it, you? No, it didn't. I just thought, how is register. it? How are sympathists not running around wearing gloves if this is something that's possible? Like every time you touch a pair of fruit, someone could... St- Stab it with a pin and you'd bleed. Like, yeah, good point. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, but not everybody is quote the bloodless. That's true. That is very true. And we know that sympathists, arcanists, tend to wear grams. Yeah. Because it isn't there established that the, the gilder, gilder is, is a, gram, a gram? Is a gram exactly? So, I mean, maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe they are more careful about that. But that like stuck out to me. That I was like, really, like really, is that that what's possible? 
Maybe. I mean, he could have done a different example. I'm, I'm sure... I tend to believe with the thoroughness with which Patrick Rothfuss writes that there's kind of nothing accidental. Right. So what? I'm not quite sure what that means for us, but I take it that it's not an oversight. Right. And so, I mean, what I took from this interaction mainly was the relationship between Quoth and the mayor. It's progressed, but it's not a friendship. It's there's this stark pragmatism that characterizes this relationship. Yeah. That they're never going to be even remotely close to peers. This is not threat. They're not chums. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's kind of what I took from this chapter. What did you have? So actually, I'm looking back over my notes. There are three things. So, so the first thing is that when he's talking about to Mayor Alvaron, he says, Alvaron was such a child when it came to arcane matters. He probably believed in fairies and the walking dead. Well, what's funny to me about that is that we know that like the fairies are real. Right. So all this thought about the, the Vince being superstitious, perhaps they're not superstitious. Maybe they're the only motherfuckers who know what's going on. Well, and we know from the, the present time interludes that all of this bad stuff is coming. So, so Vint is yeah, yeah. to the far, I want to say west, right, right? Northwest? But it's east. Oh, okay. Right. It's in the east, and then there's a mountain range. I've never looked at the map, so. Right. So Vint is, is on the east, and then there's a mountain range, and that The mountains the over scrail, which the Skrael came? Yes. Son of a so bitch. So bad things come from the east, and they would have, you know, traditionally hit Vint first, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, when they attack the inn, why they're more superstitious, right? There you go. There so you who go. knows? Good point. Okay. The other one is that he asks the mayor, one of the things he asked for, because he's starting to get the game now. Right. You know, he's like, okay, for the gram, I, I get to have a favor, right? Right. So he, asks, he says to the mayor, I need a proper patron for a friend of mine. So he wants to get a proper patron for Denna, not realizing that Brayden is Denna's patron. And... I'm thinking, well, that's going to blow up nicely. Right. That ought to be some fireworks to watch. And then I keep, as you've noticed, I've been basically just flat out assuming that Braden is Master Ash. Because this, in this chapter, is the 100% nail in the coffin evidence that Braden is Master Ash. Lay it out there, baby. So... Denna disappears for seven days. Mm-hmm. Who else conveniently disappears the same time? Tell us who. Brayden. Yep. So, confirmed. How does he not say it? Yeah, and it's funny the way it's written, too. Like, you read this, he's like, and then I didn't realize how much I'd I'd come to, to, uh, to miss him, and he was away visiting friends at the same time. Drats on my luck. Oh, well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> just la time to get some stuff to build a gram. Like, you dumbass. So what do you think the deal with Brayden slash Master Ash is? So I think he's a member of the Amir, the cult of the Amir. Really? Yeah. Interesting. What, what do you think they want with Cloth? What do you think he's getting out of this whole thing with Denna and beating the crap out of her? So Ian Crone asked, do you think, you know, this is what he was asking. Do you think he's being recruited and, you know, by the Amir? Mm. You know, do you think? Wait, what did he he ask again? So he asked last week, he said, 
do you feel like this whole thing is just a recruitment hmm. mission? And I was looking at it from, I was like, well, wait a minute. Does he mean as far as Mayor Alvaron is concerned? Because mm-hmm. to me, that seems obviously, yeah. He's watching him to see whether or not, how right. he's going to react to see whether or not he wants to use this guy. I said, or or does he mean like by the Amir? Is it like, is there something else going on? And I was just sort of starting to get like the pieces in my mind that maybe Master Ash is Braden, you know, and that either way, Braden, Master Ash, whoever, he's still got a bigger game in mind. And I started thinking, you know, maybe he's a member of the Amir or the cult of the Amir. And, right. And maybe he is feeling him out and seeing what he's all about. Right. Now, we get the mention of the Amir, you know, way, way back with Scarpy. And Scarpy says his name out loud in front of a bunch of Talons. Talon being, you know, one of the chiefs of the Amir. And from that point on, it seems as though Quoth is marked that everywhere he goes, this girl shows up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I don't know exactly why or what, but maybe it's the same things that they see in him that Simmons sees in him. But the Amir seem to be not so... Like, I'm not 100% certain that Master Ash is, like, an Amir or that he's, like, part of, like, the human kind of side of the Amir, one of right. the secret Amir that's running around. Right. Or if he might actually be some legit supernatural being. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I, it also could be, because it's crossed my mind initially, my thoughts about Master Ash was that Master Ash wasn't an Amir or a Chandrian. He was some sort of third kind of thing. Freelancer. Yeah, he's a freelancer, right? But more and more, I'm starting to think he's one of the Amir. Because where does he show up? He shows up ahead of Quoth in Traben. He gets there before Quoth does when the Chandrian show up. So why would he be chasing the Chandrian if he wasn't an Amir or something along those lines? Some sort of, somebody who's kind of following that metaphysical path. Not concerned with the, the goings-on of the world around him, other than how they relate to how can he help him play that game. That's the beautiful game he's thinking about. Ooh. He's thinking about the Changer, the Chandrian and the Amir. And the, like, he's thinking about this whole metaphysical level you know, that's going on that Quoth isn't even, he's only ever heard of in stories. And that's why one of the things that Braden says early on is... I used to play at these games that you're playing at of nobles and houses and all of that. But now I find I like to play a different sort of game. Right. And, you know, the whole idea of him beating Denna for different reasons. And we only know his reasoning for the the first time that he did it, which yeah. was to ostensibly protect her. But um, we're calling bullshit on that. We're calling bullshit on that. However, um, that was for his purposes. That would definitely fit in with what we know of the well, the human Amir, which I kind of always think of as the Order Amir versus just mm. the Amir. Yeah, good but the point. Order Amir, they Did were you get terms correct. They were fearsome and could be merciless if they thought something was for the greater good. Yeah, the greater good. Greater good. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's just sort of what it strikes me at, but. In that sort of greater good, that idea that we can do whatever we want to for the greater good, you can hide a lot of perverse, fucked up, megalomaniacal maniacs. It's true. In a cult that says for the greater good. Yeah, I you mean, know, David Koresh 
had to fuck all those virgins for the greater good. <sighs> yeah. Right? You know, you get that's a breeding ground for fanaticism. It's true. It's so, true. And that seems to be what happened with the Order, Amir. Well, I also suspect, and, and we'll talk about this more towards the end, but I suspect that a lot of this, a lot of the themes that Patrick Rothfuss is trying to get at are around the concept of what is or isn't good from a metaphysical standpoint, from a religious standpoint. You know, that that it's, you know, that God, the devil, you know, who's good, who's bad here. You know, I think he I think that's a lot of what he's trying to talk about in right. this, you know, and the idea that people latch on to these things and for the greater good, they can become, you know, Dr. Mangala and yeah. destroy, you know, cut open 20,000 people for the greater good. A lot of people trying to do what they think is the right thing can end up doing some really horrible things. And obviously we see parallels of that today in the real earliest in our history you know the aim era we've talked about sort of being a parallel for you know the christian crusades right oh and the order aim and then the there's also Correct. the different aim which are like almost mythical sort of angelic beings yes and somebody brought something up and i, I guess i'll reference it now since we're kind of in that conversation so it it seems germane to what we're talking about um, give me one second to pull my notes up here, but it was Chuck Spurlock who has interacted with us recently on our Facebook page, and he said, hey, you were talking last week about the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. you were talking last week about the Amir as though they were angels. He said, um, he wanted to point out that if you go to chapter 28, uh, it says that they had wings made of fire and shadow. And then he says, go to chapter 22 of The Name of the Wind, where Quoth is nearly dying in the snow. And I wrote this quote down. It says, in my delirium, I imagine death in the form of a great bird with wings of fire and shadow. And then after that, he says, the bird hovered over him waiting. And at the moment where he was about to die, it came down and the wings of fire embraced him in warmth and he felt no pain until it began to devour him you know, like a great beast. Mm -hmm. And then he was snapped out of it and his eyes open and he sees the demon and Canis. Mm -hmm. So the Amir, who are supposed to be these angels, wrap him in warmth at his moment of death, hovering over him, not saving him, waiting for him to die as though to feast on him. And then as soon as he's at that moment where he's about to die, they begin to devour him. But then Ancanus wakes him up. Sort of, sort of like, who's the devil, who's the angel? That's a very clear thing that I'm seeing at play here. And this beautiful game, to me, seems to be about that. And, you know, um, I kind of highlighted something in Chapter 62 when um, he's starting, just starting to have this trouble with the mayor, you know, and the, the birds are, are not dying when they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. He makes a comment that, and it says, no angel ever had eyes as clever as Alvaron's. Mm. And that just stuck out to me that, you know, th- that was not a compliment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, normally, we would think of calling someone angelic as being a compliment. Yeah. But he says this at a time that he is frightened of the mayor. Well, you know what? That reminds me. Another time he said when he came into the room and he was sick, I don't remember exactly what chapter it was in, but he said he was kind of laid out in the bed in an almost angelic pose. Right. And, so and that's it's not something he's that he's that. 
described a whole lot of other characters as being angelic. No, and and the other the other thing that really and I wrote this down, but I just I still haven't come up with a good answer for it. But the quote from last time, the you know the phrase he says, they don't always give it knowingly, they don't always give it willingly, but either way, all power. Like, and you were like, well, that gives quotes some sort of power over him. And I'm like, I don't see it that way as, at all. Like, I see that as like him kind of slipping in and out of consciousness and letting something slip, mm. which is why I was so suspicious of him and thought there was a game going on with Lady Lackless, not that he really wanted to woo her. Now I'm thinking, and I know this isn't right, but this is the train of thought I'm going. Like, is he actually a, a namer? And... Quoth gave up his true name in that room, just like he gave up his true name to Scarpy in that inn, and was and didn't realize it. And so he's talking about Quoth not giving it knowingly, not giving it willingly, but giving it up nonetheless. And that's the power that he will hold over top of Quoth. Now, I don't think that's accurate, but there's more to that statement, and, and I haven't figured out what it is. I would agree with you that something else is going on with the mayor. I don't think he's a namer. I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't really either, but I'm just trying to find ways to fit that phrase into some sort of sense. I mean, for me, I see that phrase as the mayor struggling to trust Quoth and he's putting his life in his hands and having to give up some of his power to him. And he's he's kind of he's struggling with that At, just after they had this whole argument about whether power is inherent. Is it given? Is it, you know, and and he's had to come to grips with the fact that he doesn't have a powerful body. His body is dying. So you think he's referencing himself when he says that? Yes. Hmm, OK. Yes. But he's struggling now. He's going to have to admit that he's as weak as he is and that he's asking this young man to... So he has to give up power in order yes. to get what he wants. Yeah. And then yeah. in the very next scene of the next chapter, we have Quoth forcing him to eat cod liver oil like yeah. a child. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of highlighted there. So that's the way I saw it. Yeah, and maybe if I didn't read the... Maybe if I read them together rather than in separate weeks, maybe I'd be able to see that connection a little right. bit more clearly. I don't know. I still... That phrase still bothers me. But... Um, Wow. So that was chapter 68 that we just talked about. Ooh, so one more. My goodness. 69. That was the tangent of all Lots tangents. Of, I really enjoyed uh, Theo made several jokes on Twitter about, maybe not several, but oh. about chapter 69. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's my level of humor right there. So so in chapter 69, Denna comes back. Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. We're cutting that out. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> so anyway, with that. Denna comes back and all of a sudden, ta-da, I've got inspiration again. And they have a conversation. We realize that she's crazy. She's a spy, but she is in fact sorry. Okay. And then what I realize is that nothing has changed between these assholes. Right. Quoth has learned absolutely nothing. He's still grabbing at her tits. And then in the end... Alvaron wins Lady Lackless, and we're at the end of our section. So the main thing for me, and we, we were talking about the metaphor of talk before, mm -hmm. but the main thing for me is both realizing that his relationship with her is like talk. 
and that he's Did not he? in it to win her. This is where he says it. He okay. outwardly says this. Yeah. C- convince me, because now, now I, I'm starting to maybe see it your way. Uh, he says she's she's like a game of talk. It's I, I have to I can't try to win her, but instead just try to play a beautiful game with does her. Does he say that? Yeah, he does. Damn, I completely missed it. Okay, I'm so focused on language about the Amir, right? That I'm I'm missing it. Just like both in my search for certainty. <laughs> so I mean, for me also, the fact that he remembers his gram schema by heart. Yeah, I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah. And um, so the the title of the chapter was Such Madness. And of course, that's referring to the fact that Kvothe wrote a poem, something that he's always sworn he would never do because poetry is a, a low form of art. And uh, but but he is willing to go to any lengths to help woo Lady Lackless. Lady Lackless. And he does. And, and he does. And, and he you does. know what I say about that? Good for him. Bullshit. <laughs> okay. I don't buy it that he's Cyrano de Bergerac and that it was this simple. Uh, really? I no. totally buy it. The kid is a genius. I don't buy it. He's a genius and he's obviously, when he can get out of his own way, able to bullshit his way past a variety of people. He's able to read people in most situations when it doesn't he's got a couple of glaring blind spots when it mm-hmm. comes to his own life but in most cases he's incredibly perceptive and so for me the fact that he could this is someone who can remember a gram schema by heart who can learn a language in a day you know that when he steps back as an intellectual exercise it couldn't like take apart how to get this woman's attention i hear the words you're saying but all that my brain hears is lemon pie. Fine. Marmalade. <laughs> Marmalade. <laughs> lemon pie has become code for I'm right and you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I accept that you may 100% be right. It also has crossed my, like, it has crossed my mind, and, and we've mentioned it before, that this is a trope. It's a common trope for... You know, somebody who's powerful, but for whatever reason, can't get their tongue out of their mouth or they've got a problem or they're ugly or whatever to to get somebody to help them sort of woo a woman. Right. How many stories and sitcoms and plays have been built on this premise? Thousands. Right. It's such a hugely common trope. So when you see it. You inst your brain or my brain instantly goes to that's going to backfire, never going to work. So it would be very much like Patrick Rothfuss to to flip that on its head. Now he wouldn't make that like the central theme of like a whole book or anything, but as a part of something like this, to just be like, yeah, we're going to take this common thing that always backfires, and we're just going to run it straight forward through, and it's not going to backfire, and that's going to kind of betray the convention that you're used to the difference being in the the normal convention that you would be used to the wooer the secret wooer is secretly in love with the object of desire correct where in this case he's in love with denna and he's transferring it all over and he is pouring all of his feelings toward denna and using them as fuel to but he's not 
in any way in love with Melon Lachlis himself. No, yeah. So, you know, which again, that's, you know, that's running through my mind and I'm thinking it would be like Patrick Rothfuss to, to, to twist that on its head. And from a storytelling perspective, it it gives Quoth an outlet for these feelings, you know, it's getting a little old watching these two characters dance around. So it gives, yeah. without actually moving the relationship to a romantic level, which for whatever reason, the author's not ready to do at this point, mm-hmm. but it gives him something, an outlet for his, for his feelings. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else for chapter 69? No, I don't. Okay. I'm done. All right. You ready for predictions? I am ready. Okay. Here are my predictions. So, okay. So one, let's go with the obvious. Brayden is Master Ash. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, I'm saying he's a member of the Order Amir. Okay. I like your terminology. I like that. Yeah. Cauticus is working for the Jackus family. Hmm. Now, I don't know that Cauticus is working for the Jackus family, but he wasn't poisoning him for nothing, and we didn't resolve what he was poisoning him for. Very true. So somebody who's lower on the pecking order and and who is ambitious mm-hmm. is, you know, involved in this somehow. Right. The only other family I recall Cauticus mentioning was the Lackless family mm-hmm. or the Jackus family. Excuse right. me. And now don't get me wrong. And he did say that he spent some time with them. Correct. He wintered with them. Yes. Now it could also be that there's some other person that he's working on behalf of. Right. That certainly could be, but. It seems strange to me that they would, again, this late in the game, introduce some other characters. So I'm saying that he's working for the Jackasses. I still think there's more to Mavis Staples. I'm sorry, Stapes, than (laughs) than we realize. And then my last one is that the Lackless family is somehow tied to Lyra of Lanray and Lyra. Hmm. All right. All very interesting. Yes. (laughs) We'll see. I'm we'll sure see. I'm sure that 80% of them are wrong, but as long as I get one of them right, you'll forget about the other ones I got wrong. And we'll super big high five. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So interactions. So some listener interactions. We had so Mandy from Caster and Quest and I, we had several interactions, but a big long conversation on Facebook about SoundCloud and Facebook and YouTube. And so I'm going to look at some of the stuff that they're doing and see... Uh, if it's on the stuff we can incorporate. Uh, we talked about Chuck Spurlock, who had that great insight about the Amir and when Quoth was on the verge of death in Tarbian. Right. I, I really like that, and that opened my eyes up to a lot of stuff. Uh, Adam at LFC Adam 88 underscore 18 underscore 5 said he pictures Debbie as Nancy from the original Oliver movie. You know, I saw that comment and the photo, and... Yeah, I can see that. Unfortunately, she's 84 years old, and so we'll have to substitute Kristen Bell in the meantime. A Kristen Bell would just rock it. Although, was, was it you that suggested Rose Leslie, or was that I think Grace? it was Grace. It was right. Grace that suggested Rose I, Leslie. I could see her. I could definitely see her as well. Then um, Ian, Ian Crone said, how many of Quoth's tales from the intro have come true so far? That I haven't would taken be, the, yeah, I haven't taken the time to go back and read it, it yet. It would be very interesting when we get through the end of this book to kind of look at Yeah, absolutely. Look at that. What what the legends were and all that. Yeah, I haven't taken the time to do that yet, but that that is a good one to look at. And then he also asked the question, 
How deep does the Amir madness go for Chad? <laughs> it's deep, as you have heard. <laughs> I feel as though we answered that. I feel as though we answered that. It may have gone a little too deep. <laughs> so that is all that I had. Did you want to talk about the Kickstarter campaign? Yes. Um, so uh, fans of of Patrick Rothfuss may already know this. If not, he is starting a new project where he is um, working with an artist and they have made a series of art playing cards, playing cards with um, art of, from, of characters. I'm not saying this very articulate, (laughs) articulately. Um, They're beautiful cards. They are. The, the paintings are gorgeous. The great interpretations of the characters. Right. So um, right now, it's you can um, go ahead and contribute to the Kickstarter and be guaranteed a set or two or four uh, sometime next year. They haven't mm-hmm. actually started making them yet. But um, you can read about it on his blog, and that's um, blog.patrickrothfuss.com. Or if you just go to patrickrothfuss.com and follow the link to the blog. You'll find the Kickstarter info. You'll find yeah. the, the Kickstarter info and a link to the actual Kickstarter. So I think to um, to get one set for sure is like $15. There are two different, there's like a Chandrian deck and a Salus deck. Mm. And um, then each deck has two different Decks. Yeah, and I've seen the the, the painting of the Salus flowers. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Tea, so the and they the decks come in like a gorgeous decorative box. So I think for like a fifty dollar contribution, you can get all four. But you can look, and then there's all kinds of if you want to order prints and and whatever. There's all kinds of stuff um, beyond that level. But um, for details, I would look at that. And if anyone loves me and wants to know what I want for Christmas, there you go. Fantastic. But the way you treated me in this podcast. I I think I owe him a lemon pie. (laughs) I feel like I owe you a lemon pie, actually. Someone is owed a lemon pie in this relationship. For sure. For sure. (laughs) So you can find us at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. Yes, you can. Also on Twitter at the D and D Podcast. D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. And on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Those are the chief ways of getting in touch with us. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We love those. We do love those. But if you really love us, if you really love us, tell your friends. Share our stuff on social media. If you're on Twitter, Share the little SoundCloud commercials. We've come to realize they don't play very well on Facebook. But share those little SoundCloud commercials or tell a friend. Put up a poster outside of your work office. Put a billboard on the side of Interstate 95. You know, the little things count. Tell us if you want a signed 8x10. You can pass out to your friends. We can make that happen. (laughs) Definitely make that happen. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.